Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great. Thanks, Josh, very much. I half expected uh, when I sent a message to Josh about the reading for him to message me back and think that I was having a laugh. A reading from Leviticus is always good for a laugh, don't you think? Uh, whether it's harvest or not, uh, super grateful to Becky Wilson. Is she still in here? For, uh, and those that have helped uh, create a harvest display. We su- Yeah, absolutely, do that. And uh, this, is, this is a potato uh, that I've taken from the display. I'll put it back in the right place. Uh, forgive me for disturbing it. And we're trying to, we're trying to make sense uh, of, of harvest, which doesn't have obvious connections with us. We think about the baked bean tin that we took to primary school or the um, other sweet corn tin that I was glad to take because it's disgusting. And you can take that and feel good about it rather than having to eat it. This potato, though, um, in a way, represents that which we depend on. They celebrated harvest in the way they celebrated it because they depended on it literally for their survival. What would be your potato? What is it that you depend on to make ends meet? What is it you depend on to feed your family? So it might be your, uh, it might be the keys to your office or your diary or something that represents your day-to-day job. What 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 is what does your potato uh, represent? There's good news about harvest. Apparently, the Brussels sprout harvest is in trouble this year. Straight up. I, th- I, I sorry, I didn't break that very gently, did I? I should have I should have gone in a lot easier with that, but I think that's absolutely the case. Um, I don't think I'm making that up. Someone can research it who's got more time than me and uh, see whether I'm actually telling the truth or not, but I think I am. You see, it's not that we don't have harvest kind of worries. We worry about our jobs, and there's probably nobody here who hasn't gone through a season of worrying about their job in one way or another. We worry about our money being enough to get us through the end of the month, or, or simply whether our money is enough. We worry about sudden unexpected expenditure, which is just another way of being anxious about whether the crops will fail this coming year. So what was God trying to teach the people way back in the Old Testament? When he gave them not one but two festivals to celebrate around uh, harvest. I feel a bit bad now that we only do harvest once a year. Uh, given that there were two, there was the Feast of First Fruits in the spring and the Feast of Tabernacles in the autumn, more typically the time that we're celebrating harvest now. And in a way, the Feast of First Fruits set up the framework, the way of thinking, in order to best go on to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. They were both party times, they were both days of festivity, but what were they there for? And why did God think it was important? Was God a bit vulnerable about his ability to provide and wanted his creation to remind him how good he is? in providing the seasons and the harvest? Is it simply uh, 
God responding to his own vulnerability. Well, let's dig into Leviticus and take a look at the festival of first fruits. Verse 9 in Leviticus chapter 23 reads uh, like this. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The flags were fantastic this morning, weren't they? Uh, Read my blog about flag-waving if you're still unsure about flag-waving. I think flag-waving is fantastic. Uh, And the priest was to wave a big bundle, a big sheaf of of, of corn uh, before the Lord. Verse 11, he's to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the... No one reading it? After the Sabbath. After the Sabbath. So, when the first harvest comes, when the first fruits... The first sign that harvest is on its way, there are several things that you needed to do. You needed to bundle it up and take it to the priest who was going to offer it to the Lord. But along with that offering, verse 12, on the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb a year old without defect. Together with its grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, a food offering presented to the Lord. Sounds like a food technology lesson. A pleasing aroma and its drink offering of a quarter of a hin of wine. So you needed to make quite a bit of effort the moment the first sign of harvest appears. The first fruits in the spring. Now, imagine with me for a moment what it's actually like. It's been a long winter. The previous year's harvest is now almost used up. So you had a big bumper paycheck when you brought in last year's harvest and throughout the winter months you've been digging into it and digging into it and consequently it's been going down and down and down and you can already see the day when there will be no more grain, when there will be no more of last year's harvest. Your sustenance has dwindled, not metaphorically, quite literally, uh, before your eyes. And you're entering into a period, as springtime comes, of simply survival, waiting for the harvest. Your dependence on this coming harvest is incredibly real. You have a family to feed, you've got children to feed, maybe an extra child to the number of children that you fed the previous year. And even if there's not an extra child, they've all got bigger, because that's what children do. And you're very aware that a McDonald's Happy Meal will no longer do the job. And you're going to have to buy them a Big Mac for the very first time. But where's it all going to come from? You've watched it through the whole dark winter months. It disappeared before your eyes. And something else. Because you are feeding yourself from last year's harvest, you have not eaten fresh food for months. Who likes the smell of fresh bread? What was funny about that? It was a hmm. And then, after this waiting, wondering, the most anxious time of the year, it's a bit like the last week of the month when you're trying to make ends meet and you're on beans on toast right the way through to payday. Multiply that up exponentially and that's going on in the lives of the people. 
And then the harvest comes. The first grains. The first barley comes. And you want to grab it with both hands. You want to eat it and taste it and be satisfied. Who wouldn't? But verse 14, quite the contrary, says, You must not eat any bread. I'm way behind on this. You must not eat any bread or roasted, or new grain, until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. So, you've got this whole waiting, you're waiting and you're longing, and suddenly you look out one morning, and there in the field is the beginning of harvest. But God's word to you, as you see that harvest, is wait, gather up the first sheaf of it, take it to the priest. If it's a Sabbath day, you've got to wait another day. After the Sabbath, the priest can wave it, but only if you've got your one-year-old lamb that hasn't been defected why all this paraphernalia for that which you've been longing for surely God is grateful to provide for us and we're grateful to receive so he's to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf the priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath What's it feeling like? What's it feeling like when in this moment when all you want to do is for the first opportunity in months to feed your family with fresh bread You not only have to take that fresh bread and bring it to church. And then when you get to church, you've got to get the priest to do whatever he has to do with it. And the priest needs to know that you've killed the lamb and brought the lamb as well that you also needed to pay for. And the spring lambs were also part of your harvest in a way. So you're taking more of what was kind of rightfully yours, what you were depending on. And you get to the to the priest and the priest said it's a Sabbath, so we've got to wait until tomorrow. Uh, Why all this? Well, if you read Deuteronomy... It tells you. But before it tells you, it makes it a little worse. Deuteronomy chapter 26. You might want to turn to it, and I'll read some verses to you. And we're asking ourselves, what's God doing with all this paraphernalia? What message is God trying to communicate to us? What truths is God trying to establish through this whole process? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26. What page is that, if you're... 203. Fantastic. Thank you. When you've entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and take possession of it and settle in it, take some of the first fruits. Okay? We know all about that now, don't we? We've got a GCSE level of first fruits. That harvest, those first fruits, that harvest that you have been waiting for, that you are totally dependent upon, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. In other words, go to the temple, go to the priest, and say to the priest in office at the time, say to the priest in office at the time, who's got to do the talking? You've got to do the talking. Who's got to do the speaking? Who likes public speaking? Well, you're going to be stuffed because you've got to do a whole sermon in a minute. Listen to what it says. Who's had to prepare the speech? You have. Another thing you have to do before you can eat the harvest that has just appeared before you. And what do you have to say? I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. Verse 4. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering uh, Armenian, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and with signs and wonders he brought us to this place and gave us this land the land flowing with milk and honey who's done all the work in the story 
God's done all the work in the story. This is like their testimony. It's like you might be starving and the first sign of harvest has come, but wait, you've got to share your testimony now before you're even allowed to eat the first bit of grain. Verse 10, And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Then you can have a party, but you still haven't eaten anything. A celebration of the fruits of their labors? No. A celebration of how God had provided for them from beginning to end. A celebration that they were part of God's story and of God's provision. Not just their generation, but the generations before that. Not only do you need to give your testimony, but you need to give the testimony of your whole family, your whole clan, indeed your whole nation of the way God has been at work in you and through you. Is not God trying to teach us and them, that everything comes from him. It's all his doing. You've worked hard, you've planted, and you've waited through the winter, and as soon as the first sign of harvest appears, you must stop and remember that at the end of it all, it was nothing to do with you, your field, your seed, your grain, your planting, your harvesting, but everything to do with God who provides it all in the first place. Is that why, as the harvest gets underway, they are asked to stop on the Sabbath? Even at that busiest of time, that most important moment of gathering in the harvest, they have to wait an extra day to sit, to reflect, to worship, to remember, to restore, as a reminder that it's all about God and never dependent on us. A relationship of dependent is the kind of relationship into which God invites us. And at the moment when they could be most tempted to put their dependence into earthly things, the works of their hands, that which they themselves have produced. God says you must press the pause button and you must take what you have produced and bring it as an offering to the Lord and you must bring along a lamb with it and before you can offer it, you must pause and sit through the Sabbath to help you get your perspective right on who's God and who's responsible for what and whose work it really is. Then you're to give a sermon Then you have a party and then you can eat what's left of the bread that is yours. Is God not pushing against our human tendency for us to believe that it all comes down to us? If only I work a little harder, you know. If only I put a bit more effort in. Surely I'm the author of my own success and achievement. No, 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 no. God says, no, wait, don't eat it. Wait for the Sabbath. When you are forced to spend a day recognizing that the work doesn't depend on you. The Sabbath is an incredible gift to live as if all the work is done when quite obviously it isn't. Do you know when you hit your Sabbath, I don't know whether it's, you think about it as a Sunday, probably most of you do. I don't, funnily enough, think of today as a Sabbath. Uh, but the day when you stop, so Friday is our Sabbath, when we will intentionally stop, and receive it as a gift, 
living that day as if all the work is done, when manifestly it's not, because I haven't answered your email, to live as if all the work is done as a reminder that it's God's work and ultimately it depends on Him and not on us. What a gift the Sabbath is to His people. The first fruit, the first day of the week. You see how it all gets tied in together? Something else that's connected very closely to the first fruit is the tithe. You give the first 10%. You don't give the last 10% or whatever's left, which would make sense, wouldn't it? You know, get all your things that you need sorted out. And if there's anything left at the end, who knows, it might be more than 10%. God could get lucky that week. I'll give it to God. No, no, no. You give the first 10%. Ah, but if I give the first 10%, then how do I know that I'll have enough for me? Ah, that's the whole point of the tithe, is that you live out of a sense of dependence, not on what you have, but who's given it to you. That's the freedom into which God's people were being called. It's all about God, and it all comes down to him. Listen to what God says earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 8, just a few pages back. Uh, uh, because there God reveals his understanding of the tendency of the human heart. Verse 10 of Deuteronomy chapter 8. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise... When you eat and are satisfied, who's had a full meal in the last 24 hours? Probably the majority of us. When you build fine houses and settle down, who's had a place to sleep in the last 24 hours? Probably most of us. And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, i.e. you've had a bonus at work, who's had one of those? Not so many now. Or, Or this is like the credit card company has extended your limit. Then when you'll get given stuff, when you are rich in things of this world, verse 14, then your heart will become proud. And pride's an ugly thing before God in the Scripture. Then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and wasteland, and its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness. See where the emphasis is? Something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. Verse 17, you may say to yourself, so instead of acknowledging the story, can you see why you had to give that little sermon before you were allowed to celebrate? You see why you had to tell the story of your life and that of your tribe and your people and your ancestors because it was the story of what God has done to get your perspective back on track. Otherwise, you may say to yourself, verse 17, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Look at that! My harvest is coming First, your harvest to the fellow farmer hasn't come yet. Because that's what we're like inside. Yes, look what I've made. Look what I've achieved. Look what I've been able to accomplish. Look what the works of my hand have done. Verse 18, a solemn verse. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. You might think you got your job because you were a clever little sausage. And maybe you are. But in the end, if the word is truer than our own experience, you are where you are as a gift from God. You go, no, 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 I worked hard for that. 
I, I worked hard for those exams. I worked hard reading those books. I sacrificed this. That. Yeah, maybe, 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 maybe. But all of that that you were able to do was a gift from God. It's all because of him. And at harvest time, God says, come on, press the pause button. When the first fruits, when you're desperate enough, I love it with the first fruits. If God wanted us to press the pause button when we were full, he wouldn't really get our attention, would he? But the quickest way to get someone's attention is to start removing their food. Try that with your teenagers. You'll get their attention ever so quickly. Almost as fast as turning off the Wi-Fi. Those two things. The only honorable way to live is that everything comes from God and that I'm totally dependent upon him. God is saying, I want you to acknowledge who put this food on your table. I understand how you work. You'll naturally want to believe that it's all down to you. But remember, I gave you the gift to do it all. And so we're invited to ask the question about what the condition of our hearts are. When we think about what we do, what we achieve, what we create, what we make, what's the condition of our hearts? Who, who did it? Who did it really? Who's the one who really needs to take the credit? And that's why the tithe is so important. I'm going to give this to God right at the beginning before I do anything else with it, just to make sure I remember that it's God's really. Not just the tithe, but all of it. It's all God's. The very least I can do is to take the, the pain, the, the heart risk of giving that bit first back to God to say, I, I'm not going to fall for this trap of thinking it's all about me. I'm going to give it back to God as a reminder that my life is totally dependent upon him. I'm in his hands. The Sabbath, the first day of the week, I'm going to give that day back to God as a reminder to myself that it's not all about me. But ultimately, it's not my work, but it's God's work. Whatever your work is. And so I'm going to sit today, or I'm going to walk today, and I'm going to worship today. I'm going to do whatever recreates and refocuses my mind and my spirit back to the things of God and leave the work for 24 hours. Because that work will still be there. What's the alternative? The alternative is to think that it all depends on me, in which case I can't even stop through the Sabbath. I have to keep working because if I stop, no one else is going to do it. Who's ever said that in their home? If I don't do this, no one else is going to do it. You're absolutely right. No one else is going to do it, but you'll still be there tomorrow. And, and we'll live putting God for the first day. This is yours, Lord. And it's a gift for me to enjoy, to remember that it's not all down to me. This is God's doing. I'm not the center of the universe. It's not all about me. It's not what I can achieve. So it teaches us to establish a relationship of dependence. But there's more. This is the first fruit. If it's the first fruit, has the rest of the harvest come yet? No. So the rest of the harvest could still fail, which makes the first fruit super precious, doesn't it? Can you see the, the, the pull to hold on to it? It's the same pull you get when you think I'm going to work through my Sabbath this week because if I don't, oh, something bad will happen. We won't get it all done. We won't meet our deadlines. We won't, we won't, we won't, we won't, as if it depends on you. It's the same pull that says, I'm not going to give my tithe this month because I might need it. I might, the same pull, I might need these first fruits. I'm not going to give them to God. I'm going to keep them back for myself because if the harvest fails, I need to know that at least I've, I've got something. That's only sensible, right? That's only good stewardship, Right? What if the harvest still fails? What is God looking for? What is God looking for when he asks us to give the little bit of harvest that we have got to feed our family without knowing yet whether the whole harvest is going to come? He's looking for faith. He's looking for faith. He's looking for you and I to trust him more than anything else. It's a question of faith, isn't it? 
to take this food that I could use to feed my family and give it away to the Lord, who clearly doesn't need it because he's all self-sustaining, without yet knowing that the real harvest is actually going to come. It's an act of faith. It's just doing uh, the, same, the, the other side of the same coin, a relationship of dependence, a relationship of trust. We might say, if I keep the first fruits, then my family will be well and healthy and they can worship God better. We might say, if I keep hold of it, that is a good, sensible, intelligent way to be. But the whole principle here is not based on human rationale. It's based on the reality of a father who calls us to live by faith. God is looking to see what we're really made of, where we're really putting our trust, where we're really putting our faith. And that's so typical of God, isn't it? To ask us to take one small step without knowing what's next. Think of every story, almost, in the whole of the Bible. Noah, take the step of building an ark. There's no rain, there's no sea, what's the point? Take one step, expressing faith for the rest. Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. He's got a wife with a womb that no longer works. And take one step, God will do the rest. The first fruits was a reminder that we have to step into God's purpose even when we don't know where the whole thing is going to take us and where the whole provision is coming. It's what I call a first fruit, a first step offering. Where's God asking you to take the first step that shows that your faith is ultimately in Him without having all the rest of it worked out? And this really challenges us, I think, in the way that we live. Because many of us, myself included, have hopes and dreams and things that we think the Spirit has planted in us, but we're not ready to take the first step because I can't see what the second, third and fourth step is yet. And what we want to know is a bit more detail about the remaining steps before we take the first step. You with me? Anyone know what I'm talking about? And God just says, take the first step. And he is super annoying like that, isn't he? And I am frustrated with him about it. Because he genuinely does, doesn't he? He just gives us a little bit of stuff to get us going, but he doesn't give us the whole picture. And we're super annoyed about it because we want to trust in the detail. And he says, no, I want you to trust in my divinity. Ooh, that was quite a good quote. We want to trust in the detail, but he says, trust in my divinity. Trust in who I am as a person. A relationship of dependence, a relationship of... Where is it that actually it's time to take the first step? Because that's what the first fruits was. It was stretching their faith muscle. It was saying, hey, I'm going to take the first step with this harvest as an acknowledgement that in the end, it's all about Jesus. Come follow me, Jesus said to the first disciples. And to be fair, they didn't have a clue about what was going to happen next, did they? What's your first step? As parallels again with tithing. It has parallels with the Sabbath. Can you see how all these different things kind of link in and, and work, work together? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Okay, let's wrap this thing up. Jesus uh, has exactly the same idea, doesn't he? When he says, um, just, just abide in me. Trust, trust in me, not in your own effort, not in your own work ethic, not, not in the, the, the more that you can do, but trust in me. And the, there are so many psalms like that about being still and trusting and about the Lord building the house and so on. But finally, one last thing that I wanted us to uh, to get to, just as we reflect on this whole first fruits uh, festival and what it what it might say to us in 2018. The feast of first fruits reminds us that we are to have a relationship of expectancy, 
of expectancy. The phrase first fruits literally means there's more to come. How cool is that? There's more to come. Even when they couldn't see it, even when they didn't know it intellectually, even though they couldn't be certain of it in terms of scientific process, the first fruits was a declaration from God that there's more to come. In your relationship with God, have you had it all or is there more to come? There's more to come. We live with this sense of expectancy that what we've received up until now is just the first fruits because the full harvest is coming and will one day fully come in our lives. And so we live believing God for more work this week in our lives, next month in our lives, next year in our lives. Is our default position to live expectant? Paul uses it, the idea of the first fruits to talk about the the ultimate journey that we're all on. This is how he uh, puts it. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The what? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The harvest of souls. He is the first fruit. A sign that one day it will come. A sign that we can live by faith in what we've already received, knowing that the fullness of it is on its way. You know the feast uh, where, we're, where we're learning to be expectant towards God, this first fruits of the resurrection, knowing that as Jesus has himself been raised as a first fruit, so one day we too will be uh, raised. That's why harvest liturgy, harvest hymns, so often start with the earthy, earthly harvest and end up with the heavenly harvest. You know this one? Even so, Lord, quickly come. I can't read it. You're going to have to do it. Gather all your people in, free from sorrow, free from sin. There together, purified, ever thankful at your side. Come with all your angels, come. Bring that glorious harvest home. What starts on earth ends in the heavenlies. When we receive just a little bit here on earth, what happened to that potato? When we receive just a little bit, see, this isn't just a potato. This is the first fruits. This is the beginnings of a feast that finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of heaven. And so Paul would write like that. He would say what we're experiencing now is just the first fruits because the true harvest is coming to all those who belong to him. How cool is that? And suddenly harvest becomes incredibly real and deeply relevant as we wrestle to free ourselves from all the things around us that we would cling to as if they will always be here. Things that are here today and poof, gone tomorrow. And as we let go of those things and hold on to that which is eternal, we find a a reality for living that would otherwise elude us. What does it gain a man or profit a man to gain the whole world? and yet lose his own soul. Let's be quiet for a moment. So this meal is kind of a first fruits meal. You see how it all fits together? Kind of a first fruits, a sign of the beginning. It's the first fruit because we're going to have a sip of wine, knowing that one day we're going to drink anew in the kingdom of heaven. It's the first fruits because it remembers Jesus who has blazed a trail, who was the first harvest, the first resurrection of which many will follow. It's a first fruits meal because it asks of us as we come in whom is our faith. 
Upon whom are we depending? So take whatever your potato is, metaphorically, whatever it symbolizes, whatever in the, in the humanness of life you need, you depend upon, that which is like your daily bread, and quietly give thanks. But it's all from God, and it's all for God.